The following podcast is a proud member of the Blue Collar Roots Network. Find all the shows by visiting bluecollarroots.com. Here's the president and primary owner of True Tech Tools, licensed engineer, and the nicest BS artist you will ever meet, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast, where it's our goal to help create better and more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance technicians, and also by helping the two professions better understand each other and work together with the ultimate goal of creating happy customers in the homes they live in and the buildings they work in. In this episode, we'll be speaking with John Pastorello, the happy scientist at Refrigeration Technologies. So after 31 years in business, three major career changes and 10 products and counting, John shares with us how, and more importantly, why he built his business, Refrigeration Technologies. As a child growing up in the atomic age, he was spurred by his curiosity about the atom and yearned to become a nuclear physicist. This is a true story. Now fast forward almost plus 30 years later, and John's managed to create a very successful family-owned business in the specialty chemicals focusing on all aspects of air conditioning refrigeration trades. You can learn from John how he approaches his work and gain some insight on how he transitioned from chemist to HVAC contractor, then a contracting business owner, and on to the founder of Refrigeration Technologies. And by the way, you're going to also find out how Nylog got its name. So listen up and let's have some fun talking with John Pastorello, Refrigeration Technologies. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Bill. Thanks. Good to have you on board. You seem to be a popular guy out there in the podcast world. I keep seeing your name pop up. How many podcasts do you think you've done this year? Maybe half a dozen. Wow, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good batting average. You're probably about in the same age group that I am. So podcasting is new to me. It's new to you. Let's kind of take it back to where you got started and refrigeration technologies your company came from. What year was that founded? Was it back in the 80s? 1987. Wow. That's 31 years ago. Is that right? Yes. What was sort of like the thing that made you take that risk to form a company, to found your own company? And how has that gone over those 31 years? It's not as easy as it sounds, but (laughs) I started out as a bench chemist back in my 20s, early 20s, while I was finishing up college. I was a chemistry major and I worked at a lab, medical lab pretty much, worked there for several years, going to school part-time, just trying to finish out my degree. And the lab kind of went under and I was out of a job and I looked in the newspaper and I saw this company that was hiring AC installers, no experience necessary. I applied for the job, got the job, and got out on the road with an installation crew, and I really enjoyed it. Got my endorphins going, where every day where I woke up, going to go out there and work in the fresh air and maybe do a little heavy lifting, and it'll be a long, sweaty day, but I really enjoyed it. Enjoyed seeing something accomplished with the fruits of your labor. Yeah. Every day was a different day and it was a different challenge. We're in the lab. Every day was the same day. It was routine. It was like working on a factory assembly line. You did the same thing over and over every day. It was very boring, nothing challenging. I just enjoyed getting out there. And actually, when I trained me for doing some servicing, I really got into the nuts and bolts of everything and just found it the whole science behind refrigeration, amazing. And it combined all these different sciences together 
to produce these machines that made cold air. So something I really dug into and got to master, although you never master really the trade. You're always learning every day. No, it keeps changing, huh? Yeah. Eventually, I started my own contracting business. Oh. Got tired of working for someone else and bouncing around, especially here in California, because things go great during summer, but during winter, they start laying off techs because we just don't really have much of a winter here. That's the sad story about working in a good climate, nice Mediterranean warm all year long climate. In case people don't know, what's your area that you live in? Where do you work from? And I live in Orange County, Anaheim area. Never gets below 40. Wow. It'll get maybe 40 degrees for a couple weeks in February, and that's it. That's your heating season. You took the leap into being an entrepreneur by running your own contracting business. Yeah. But somewhere during the course of that, you decided to go back to your love of science, your love of chemistry. How did that happen? What caused you to think about making your own product? I was really frustrated with the chemistry, the chemicals that were available on the wholesaler shelves out there, especially the leak detector. They were all these bubble solutions that were in a dauber bottle, and they just didn't seem to perform well out in the field. It was very difficult. Many of them didn't even produce bubbles. You'd see a bubble, it pop. You see a few bubbles, they just pop immediately. And there really wasn't any quality behind the way they were making these products. It's something that was overlooked. And one of the manufacturers I talked to, they say, well, leak detector makes such a small part of our overall business. We're not interesting in improving anything in that line. And so I saw an opening there. Mainly, I started formulating bubble solutions just for my own use. I tried the toy store brands and went through all the different brands that were on the wholesaler shelf and went out, did some research, hit the libraries. This was way back before Google. Hit the libraries, hit the patent office, did a lot of research on the weekends. There was a lot of information there on leak detectors, especially from Europe, Germany, and Russia. And there was mainly because Russia, they had that space program going and they wanted better ways for detecting leaks. Because it's a life or death situation there, right? Yes. And there was a lot of technology, a lot of science in foams and bubbles. There was a lot of that. So you just combine everything together. And I worked during the day, my service calls, and then I'd come home at night. And I had a lot of different raw materials. I mixed up bubble solutions. And then I took those solutions out on my truck the next day and tested them in the field until I got something that really worked real well and gave it out to a couple of my service tech buddies. And they liked it. And mm -hmm. they talked me into selling it to the wholesalers here locally. And with their help and my kitchen formulation, it eventually caught on. I have this vision in my mind of a mad scientist, although I could never call you mad. So I'm going to call you a happy scientist. Is that okay? That's fine. I've been called the mad scientist before. <laughs> But I call my competitors mad scientists because you get into the formulations <laughs> and all the gnarly ingredients that they put in their coil cleaners and degreasers, and they're the ones that are mad. They shouldn't be putting this stuff out on the market, but they do. You mentioned patent research. Are any of your products patented? 
No, no. You never want to patent a chemical formulation. The reason for that is you give your competitors an easy blueprint and they only have to change it a smidgen and that's it. Your patent is worthless. Very clever. So you understand the business aspect of that. They could take one of my products and send it out to a lab and for anywhere between 3000 and $30,000, they can break it down and have a complete chemical blueprint. But to lay it all out in a patent is just making it all too simple for them. Sure. I did a little bit of background research. We've met in person before. I've toured your facility. Really awesome thing. Met a lot of your people, your staff, some of whom are family. So that's really great. You have a family business there. And people who do buy your products should know they're supporting a family business in Orange County, California. One thing I looked at a couple of your profile pictures on your website, there's a profile picture of you. And I'm trying to figure out what in the heck you're holding in that picture. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is my son Mike standing next to me? No, it looks like a watermelon. <laughs> looks like a watermelon. Yeah. Is that like a Facebook? Oh, it looks like you're on the ocean, maybe, or on the water. I think I just caught a bullfrog. Okay. Is that what it was? Oh, no, that was the other one. That's on LinkedIn, is the bullfrog. <laughs> okay. I see that one, too. Does that an indicator that you like being outdoors? I'm showing off for my grandkids. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Again, I did some background research, and actually, I was surprised to see the, the number of different products that you've developed. It didn't all come at once, I'm sure. Like, I see 10 different categories of products. Is that accelerated recently, or how has that kind of played out, the number of products that you have? We came out with the Big Blue in 1987. It was the first sprayable spray-on leak detector. And then, rather than fade into the abyss because your competitors catch on and they started packaging their leak detector solution in spray bottles and thought that was the way to go. In the wholesaler's mind, they say, well, we have another chemical company here we've been doing business with for 40 years. Uh, they're now putting leak detector in a spray bottle, so we're just continuing your product. So you have to come out with another winner or another product and broaden your line because they don't want to just buy a single product from a small company. They'd rather buy a whole line of products, hundreds of products from one company, one shipment, and not have to bother with a one product company. So they set out to kind of just one by one pick off all the different categories of chemical products that were on the wholesaler shelf so I can broaden my array of offerings to the wholesaler. And with every product, I analyze the competition. I analyze and see what they're using in their formulations. And then I just do my research. And I find, for the most part, their research is really old and antiquated. And then I just plug in newer research, newer chemical compounds, and come up with better products in the result. Cool. That's how we pick off our competitors is just basically building a better product. Which of these 10 categories of products would you say is the most popular one? Big Blue has always been our most popular one, and it's sold worldwide. It's not just a USA or North American-based product. I mean, people in Japan, people in Australia, they will pay the freight to have it available in those countries and even in Europe. 
that's been around for over 30 years, so it has a longer history. Then there's the nylon gasket and thread sealant, and that I invented back in 1993, but it didn't take off till 2005, 2007, because everything in this industry progresses at a snail's pace. It's just gasket and thread sealing, nothing really exciting. Leak detector, that's exciting, but gasket, thread sealant, not exciting. So the gasket, thread sealant, it was a slow climb to where now we sell it worldwide and it's become an internet hit. A lot of guys on YouTube using it and showing different ways of using it that I didn't even envision in the beginning. What would you say is the least appreciated product? The one you think that, darn it, people should be using more of this, should be talking more about it out of all these in your array here? Well, the part of the product line we are always trying to help develop is the coil cleaning market. We realize that coil cleaning and coil cleaners are the biggest segment of the market as far as selling chemical products. Take a gallon of coil cleaner, that could last you one service call, where a quart of Big Blue will last you maybe three to six months on the truck. A little container of Nylog, that could last you a year. Wow. The turnover rate for coil cleaner is where all the meat and potatoes are in this industry. If you're going to be selling chemicals out there. Along the way here with all the product development, things like that, there's probably been some interesting stories, maybe in an application or in the product development process, like anything kind of come to mind as something that you'll never forget about the products and the research and the applications you've done? Yeah. Nylog was a bit of a sleeper. I didn't set out to make a gasket and thread sealant. I was actually researching a degreasing formulation. And I was looking at patents and researching topics for removing oily substances from surfaces. See if there was anything new out there, any new chemistries out there that would cause oil to release from a surface. And I got involved in it led me down into oil well stimulation additives. And it seems as though when oil wells, they start to lose production capacity or even stop producing oil at all. It's because the oil and down there is trapped in the rocks and they try and free up that oil by putting chemicals down in the well to re-stimulate oil production. And one of the chemicals they put down there, instead of Restimulating the well, it kind of locked the well up and caused the oil to bond to the sand and the rock to where they couldn't get it out. Interesting. Yeah, it was interesting chemistry too. And so I got some raw materials to make that particular type of chemistry. It was this really stringy, sticky, oily, gooey substance. And it was just playing with it and realized that. I was always taught that you should never put anything but oil on a gasket or thread. I wonder if this would work as a gasket and thread sealant. And so started experiment with it, and it turned out to be an amazing gasket and thread sealant. It never hardened. It never dried because it's mainly oil. And if it got into the system, it can't harm anything because it's just oil. And I called it Nylog, which stands for New York Life Oil and Gas. Huh. And it was a tribute to all the research that I had done that was sponsored by 
New York Life Oil and Gas, they owned a lot of old oil fields and they did the research. And it was a failed experiment that led me to my gasket and thread sealant. So I thought I'd just name it after them. <laughs> That's pretty darn awesome. Yeah. I sense, and probably I can even say no, that you have this curious mind. What was it like growing up as a kid? Did you have any like little flashes of you were going to be doing this as you grew into an adult? Well, I'll tell you, I grew up in an atomic age. We had these different ages, like the atomic age, because in the 50s and early 60s, it was always about any day now you can get blown up from rockets from Russia. And this atom was something I needed to learn more about. So that got me started. It sparked my curiosity. And I guess I got gravitated toward that type of science. I wanted to be a nuclear physicist. But later wow. on, when I finally got to college and figured out that that was all about heavy math, <laughs> which I did not enjoy. <laughs> and so I backed off and started going into chemistry. But I grew up through the atomic age. There was the atomic age. There was the jet age. There was the rocket age. And now we live in the digital age. It all goes back to the atom and learning all about that. Now, I'm going to make a guess here that something I did as a kid, you did as a kid. And that was mixing vinegar and baking soda together in a milk bottle. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> did the bottle blow up on you? <laughs> now it's Coca-Cola and those Mentos. <laughs> okay. So here's a test, John. Why does that happen with Coca-Cola and Mentos? Do you understand the chemistry of that? Oh, sure. You're mixing a very strong acid with a very strong base and you get a violent reaction. So the acid must be in the phosphoric acid and the Coke? Yes. It generally has a pH very close to a lemon. Wow. But it's sugared down to where it doesn't provide the bitterness of an eaten a straight lemon. What kind of message would you like to give to the listeners, the people that are listening to this podcast out here? Any sort of words of inspiration or words of advice or encouragement? What would you like to convey? I was just a single man contractor out there and I took a gamble and tried to contribute to this industry something. And I got lucky, lucky it caught on, lucky that it was the right product at the right time, I guess. And I have a lot of respect for all the guys out there on the front lines, diagnosing and fixing problems out there. I know that they're inventive at heart and you have to be because every day you're going to run into a problem that was a design problem or someone else's hack problem and you have to undo it and we have to use all our knowledge to it's only the refrigeration mechanic the air conditioning mechanic because we're a combination of plumbing electrical mechanical welders and we do a lot of construction we <laughs> cut holes and things and we patch them up so we have to be able to do it all on a journeyman level and much of it's not plug and play no. It requires an intimate understanding of how things work together and that kind of thing. So with all these inventive people in the field that you're reaching more and more on a daily basis, are any ideas coming your way from people in the field? I get very little feedback because the only time I see people in the field would be at major trade shows. And it's really my only contact. But since I've been doing some podcasts here, I've been able to come in contact with a lot more. And I barely get 
any new ideas from people. One contractor asked me if I could just make the dirt on a blower wheel just disappear and what can I use on a blower wheel that will just to where he doesn't have to assemble it, disassemble it and pull it out. And I said, there's just some things that it's just not that simple. Some things just need to be physically undone. To be accessible, sure. Yeah. Still limits to the physical world. Yeah. My son found a product being demonstrated at a trade show, and it was a heat-blocking putty. They were demonstrating using it uh, to block heat, to put it on ex- to solder in expansion valves, and, and to block heat from damaging dryers and whatever. And I looked at it, and I thought, well, I always used to use a wet rag, and wet rag was pretty much the standard everybody else uses out there. I said, I don't think that we should come out with a product like that because you're competing against a wet rag. And he says, no, no, Dad, give it a shot. We brought in a bunch of, we found four different manufacturers of these heat blocking type putties, and we brought them in, and we tested them, and we even tested them against a wet rag, and we go, wow these products really do work. And one thing, I don't want to be out there putting gimmick products in my line. You lose your credibility when you do that. So I said, let's fly with it. There was just one problem that the base material that these other products were using had a California Prop 65 cancer warning on them. And so we had to change the base product so we wouldn't have to put a California Prop 65 warning label on it. And we came out with our Viper wet rag heat blocking putty. And that's been quite a big success. I didn't give it a chance to succeeding, but gosh, it immediately took off and surprised the hell out of me, but I'm enjoying it. (laughs) Nice. I also noticed on your website, your About Us page is really nice. It's got your whole team and you do something I've never seen before. You list all your manufacturers reps on the site with photos of them. And that's a very personal touch. So you must have very good relationships in the industry. Would care to expound on that at all? Yeah, a lot of our reps, they've been with us since day one, 30 years ago. We've made a few changes here and there, but for the most part, they've been, most of them, 20, 30 years. So they're part of the family also. They went through all the ups and downs with us. In the beginning, we seemed to pop and then stop. We were making a lot of sales, and all of a sudden, the sales just withered away because the competitors started copying a few things here and there. Then we got another push forward. There's that five-year line, and if you don't make it in five years, you'll never make it. And I think we were just right on the border of that five-year to where we started inching forward and not stopped going backwards. And that's true in any business. How much time do you spend in research? It sounds like it must be a fair amount of time on a weekly basis or monthly basis. Well, it's much easier to do now because I don't have to get in my car and drive to a library or a patent office. (laughs) So there's these scientific search engines I use. And I subscribe to all the trade mags and I subscribe to a lot of different chemical industry type trade mags, but most of them are all online. So different manufacturers of raw material, people that are on a cutting edge of coming out with new chemical products like BASF, DuPont, companies you probably never heard of, whether they be in Europe or US-based, 
they're always coming out with different detergent compounds, different thickening agents, different preservatives. And I take a look at all these. I order the samples and I get them into the lab and I start maybe plugging them into different formulations we have, see if it makes any improvement. And then I'll just do just raw research. I would say like in my mind, like you approach it from two ends. You have a problem looking at a solution, but you just also have research, which may lead you to a new product you didn't even think of, perhaps like exactly the Nylog path. So yeah, what a lot of fun. That was really from left field. Yeah, cool. Hey, we covered a lot of ground in the last few minutes chatting here and uh, really want to let you know how much I appreciate you, your business, your company, your employees. Listeners probably know I own True Tech Tools and we sell a lot of your products. I think we don't sell enough of them. I'm going to make sure we sell more of them. You are becoming the Amazon.com of our industry. I'm really appreciative. You had a lot of different choices when it came to putting on a line of chemical products, and we're glad you chose us. Now, fasten your seatbelt, get ready for the ride. Right. Thank you. <laughs> I think we'll wrap up here right now, John, and want to thank you again for coming on the podcast today. We'll get this out into the ears of all our listeners and uh, look forward to talking to you again when you have some new inventions, which I'm sure are on the horizon. Yeah, we can go into any specific topics. I've done a lot of these coil cleaning podcasts. I guess they're going over well, but coil cleaning is not the most glamorous thing that a technician does out there. He doesn't want to be told how to clean a coil. It should be second nature to him anyway. But maybe we can go into leak detection. I wrote a leak detection manual back in the early 90s. I don't know if you've run across that on our website, but that particular manual has been reprinted in three different textbooks. And of course, refrigeration technologies, I let them have it, let them publish it uh, because they'll show a picture of my product, but the contributor is like a footnote, <laughs> but I don't care as long as the knowledge gets out there, but three different textbooks on that, that's something we can go into instead of the technician looking for a leak. I showed a technician how to, to let the leak come to them. Interesting. That was been out since the early nineties. And we could go in depth of uh, leak detection, leak prevention in the first place. I've studied a lot of system chemistry, compatibility of different oils and refrigerants with the metals, the desiccants, other chemicals in the makeup of the oil, oil additives and stuff like that. Sounds good. If anyone wanted to get in touch with you, is the best thing to go to refrigtech.com, the website, or is there an email address or how would you like to be reached? Yeah, my email is simply jp at refrigtech.com and make sure they don't put a D in the refridge. <laughs> don't laugh. It happens. I know. And I think my kids accuse me of that. I grew up in upstate New York and for some reason, they hear refrigerator with a D in it. And I know I'm not trying to say it, but it just comes out. So I'm one of those people that are afflicted with the D in refrigeration. <laughs> All right. Wonderful having you on here today, John. Thank you very much and look forward to getting you back next time. Sure. We can do a whole battery of these things so we can schedule any time. Sounds good. Thank you, Bill. All right. Thank you, John.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Hope you gathered some good information out of that, or at least had some fun listening to John talk about his career, his life, and his products. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor of the Building HVAC Science Podcast, please email me at bill underscore spone, S-P-O-H-N, at bluecollarroots.com. Again, we're a part of the Blue Collar Roots Network of four very interesting trade-related podcasts. One is the HVACR School, the other is the Tool Pros Podcast, and there's also Service Business Mastery. That would be the fourth one. Some of the topics we discuss might require technical training for proper interpretation or safe execution. So if you're a pro, then you can go right ahead and do it. If you're not, please consult with and hire a pro. If you're looking for some of the tools or instruments or products like John's products, the refrigeration technologies that we spoke about, take a look at my company, True Tech Tools. That's T-R-U-T-E-C-H-T-O-O-L-S.com. See what we carry. We also offer a special code for listeners. That's H-V-A-C-B-S for a nice discount. Let's close with a thought here that's related to our discussion with John. And this is from Charles Kettering. An inventor fails 999 times if he succeeds once, he's in. He treats his failures simply as practice shots. So we don't know a lot about John's practice shots, but it seems to have become very successful in all the research and in-depth knowledge and different types of work that he does in order to achieve the products that he has in his product array of refrigeration technologies. I'd like to thank you for listening and following us on Building HVAC Science. If you haven't subscribed, please do so. And if you're interested in finding out more in between podcast episodes about what we're doing and what's on our mind, you can always go to Facebook and search for Building HVAC Science and find out what we're thinking about lately in terms of building HVAC science, building science and HVAC, the meld of those two worlds together. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to having you back next time. Take care, everyone.